This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Baby boomers are the largest and richest cohort in North America. So why are they so often ignored by advertisers? In the States, this group spend about $1.8 trillion, with a T, dollars a year on all of these product categories. So they're nothing to sneeze at. That's Alan Wurzel, advertising guru and the keynote speaker at Zoomer Media's first annual select symposium on advertising and aging earlier this week. Today, he'll tell us why it's important for advertisers to talk to the boomer generation. And Brett Wilson, entrepreneur par excellence, famous for being one of the dragons in the den, has written a book. Someone looking in from the outside would perceive that I had everything one would want. It's about the mistakes he made in the scramble for success and how he's repairing the relationships that really matter. He'll join me to talk about changing priorities. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Do you have an upbeat view about aging? It could make a huge difference for your health. Researchers have found that you'll have a better chance of bouncing back from a serious disability than someone who has a more negative view of getting older. A new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that older people who had positive age stereotypes were more likely to recover from a severe disability. Researchers followed over 600 volunteers who went through some form of disability, asking them questions like the words that came to mind when they thought of old persons. The results? People with positive outlooks were 44% more likely to recover completely from a severe disability and 23% more likely to upgrade their condition from severe to mild. The son of the founder of The Hollywood Reporter apologized this week for his father's and the paper's role in ruining many movie careers. Billy Wilkerson supported the 1947 Hollywood blacklist that destroyed the careers of writers, actors, and directors who were accused of having communist ties. His son, Willie Wilkerson, called the blacklist era Hollywood's Holocaust. This week marked the 65th anniversary of the list, and Willie says he felt an apology was necessary. He said his father supported the blacklist to exact revenge against Hollywood power brokers who blocked his efforts to establish a movie studio in the 1920s. It's a milestone very few of us get to celebrate. 65 years of marriage. But Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip marked their blue sapphire wedding anniversary earlier this week. The Queen first met Prince Philip in 1939 when she was just 13 and he was a naval cadet. He had reportedly played croquet with his future bride, who became his pen pal during the war. The couple married at Westminster Abbey on November 20, 1947. 
And finally, are you looking for ideas for that hard-to-buy Zoomer on your holiday list? How about this? A custom-designed voicemail message by your favorite Zoomer star. Why not have William Shatner ask your callers to leave a message? Or Morgan Freeman? Perhaps Betty White? The advocacy group Autism Speaks is offering a limited number of 20-second greetings by several big celebrities for $299. Ed Asner, whose son works for Autism Speaks, is behind the initiative. The messages will be available from December 3rd to 9th on a first-come, first-served basis. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Earlier this week, Zoomer Media held its first annual Select Symposium on Advertising and Aging. The highlight, a presentation by Alan Wurzel, an American advertising guru who is president of research and media development at NBC Universal. The conundrum? As soon as we hit the age of 55, we fall off the advertising industry's radar. Well, many of you may not think that's a big problem. Alan explained why he thinks otherwise when I sat down with him at the Zoomerplex. Well, Alan, you've done groundbreaking research on alpha boomers who are at the front end of the baby boom generation, people aged 55 to 64. So what makes them so different from previous generations at that age? The thing that makes them different is, I mean, they are baby boomers, and they have had an influence on our society since the beginning. As they went through every stage of life, they redefined what the society's basic culture was, they redefined some of the institutions, things like education, and they redefined a lot of what you know, the society thought about themselves. And in fact, in many ways, uh, they were looked upon as kind of, um, by other generations, as kind of a bellwether for where the society was going. The fact of the matter is, they've always been reinventing themselves. And so now that they're getting into a point of life when they're beginning to think about things like retirement, they don't want to look at retirement the way previous generations did. They want to look at it in a very, very different way because, again, they've redefined everything they've ever done, and there's no reason to believe they won't redefine this chapter in their life equally. Well, exactly. So baby boomers have been at the vanguard of society, and that's not changing because they, we, are getting older. One of the reasons that they're the vanguard of society is they're so big. The cliché is they're the pig and the python. But as they've gone through society, just their very size, they're, in, the, in the U.S. certainly, they're over a third of the population. And so you have to pay attention to them whether you want to or not. Well, lifespan has increased hugely. It wasn't that long ago. If you were 64, you didn't have that much longer to live. It's stunning. When I did the research, I just went back and looked at it. If you were a 64-year-old in 1950, your life expectancy was only four more years. You know, today the life expectancy of a 64-year-old is around uh, 14 years, so that takes them close to 80. So the fact of the matter is, Alpha boomers and baby boomers are going to be around for a lot longer. And that's another reason why they have a very different view of their life, because they know they have a lot of time in front of them. So what are the most common misconceptions about the generation? There are five misperceptions, I think, that it all sort of boils down to what I call urban myths. The first is that alpha boomers and then baby boomers are getting ready to wind down. The fact of the matter is four in ten of them say they intend to be working for at least five years. Seven uh, percent say they never want to retire. I mean, they see work as a very, very different thing. The second notion is that um, they are set in their ways, that they are resistant to change, that they've established habits and 
in the case of marketing, brand loyalties when they were younger, and those things never change. And the fact of the matter is, what we found was that alpha boomers are more likely to change than some younger consumers. The third is um, the fact that they are considered to be technophobes, when the fact of the matter is that that wasn't the case at all. The last thing I think, and, and, and it's very critical for the advertising business, is that they're very, very easy to reach. The notion that, uh, that they're just there, that they're sitting on a couch and they're vegging out, and that you don't have to do anything to go and get them. Well, the fact of the matter is, they spend more time on the internet than younger consumers. They have all the same toys and gadgets, and in fact, the irony is, and this is actually the fifth point, um, the notion that uh, alpha boomers have less money to spend. The fact of the matter is, they have a lot of money to spend. And the reason is that they have a lot of discretionary income. They're at a time in their lives when, for the most part, their kids are gone. It's not that they're not supporting them, because they are. They're helping them out, but they're not buying braces, they're not paying college tuition, they're not you know, buying them clothing the way you do when the kids are in the home. Uh, at the same time, you know, alpha boomers are also taking care of their parents. Uh, they're what's called the sandwich generation. And the result there is, is that unlike previous generations, when people who got to a certain age bought certain kinds of things, because, you know, things like travel and automotive and, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals, alpha boomers have a very, very broad range of product categories that they consume because they're not only buying for themselves, they're helping out their kids and they're buying for their parents. In the States, this group, the Alpha Boomer group, people who are 55 to 64, spend about $1.8 trillion, with a T, dollars a year on all of these product categories. So they're nothing to sneeze at. So what do you think it will take to make advertisers and other business people accept this reality? Or how long do you think it will take them to accept it? I wish I knew. I mean, obviously, just because I say it doesn't mean that I'm going to wake up tomorrow when advertisers will say, oh, the, the light bulb went off. I think what's going to happen is that there will be some marketers, advertisers, media companies that won't get it. And as time goes on, they're going to see their share of an audience diminish. And I think there are going to be a couple of others who really do, who will be very successful. And I think the bulb will go off on a lot of others who will say, you know what, maybe there's something to it. I hope it happens sooner than later. I know it's inevitable, but exactly when it's going to occur, your guess is as good as mine. Do you see a parallel between the fight to gain acceptance of age to previous struggles to gain acceptance and the reflection of diversity and women in the marketplace? I think it's important to think about this in terms of diversity. We would never suggest that an advertiser or an entertainment company should only appeal to whites or to African Americans or to Asians or to Hispanics. I mean, at least in the States, and I believe that you feel that way here, we're a very, very multi-ethnic, multicultural kind of society, and all of those folks should be within the marketing and within the entertainment and be reflected. Well, there's no reason to believe that age doesn't fit into that as well, particularly when you're talking about a third, one-third of the population. Okay. Alan Wurzel, thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break, and then I'll be joined by former Dragon's Den co-star Brett Wilson. It looked like he had everything, success, money, and fame. He'll tell us why he decided to change his life. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Well, he was one of Canada's top investment bankers and philanthropists, and then he became famous for his role on television. 
but Brett Wilson says he learned the hard way that chasing success can make you lose the things that matter most. He's written a book about it, Redefining Success, Still Making Mistakes. Brett, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure, and thank you for thinking to have me here. You had everything that somebody looking in from the outside would want. What made you decide that you had to redefine your priorities? Well, I think it was the very point you made that someone looking in from the outside would perceive that I had everything one would want. But what they didn't see what was really what was happening, and if you will, at my dinner table, because I was never there. I didn't have a family life. Frankly, I didn't have a marriage that was of any benefit to either of us. The more I worked, the worse my marriage was. But quite frankly, the worse my marriage was, the more I could work. What happened to make you realize that this was your situation? I was probably going through depression. And the way I was treating family and friends was an issue. And I was pretty self-absorbed in terms of work. But I guess the, the pivotal moment for me was... Uh, one night I was home babysitting, and that in itself is a pathetic comment because as parents, you parent, you don't babysit. I was trying to receive a phone call. It was important to me, I thought, and the phone rang a number of times that evening, and I finally got a hold of the person who was trying to reach me and said, how come you didn't call? They said, we did call. A little girl answered and said, you weren't home. So I then took this little eight- or nine-year-old girl to task in a very vigorous way, call it rage, and it was inappropriate no matter what you call it. And I said to you, this little You girl, stormed into her bedroom. She oh, hid under the bed. She was hiding. And uh, I mean, I never would have hit her. But the fact that she didn't know that was part of what was starting to scare me as I stood there. And the last thing I said was, what the, what the frig are you doing telling someone I'm not home? And she looked up at me and said, because you never are. Frankly, my, my knees melted at that moment because that was sort of the epiphany that said, you know, buddy, you got it all and you've, yet, you've got nothing. Is it relevant that all of this was over a piece of art you wanted to acquire? Oh, that was the most pathetic part of the whole thing was that, you know, I still remember the name of the artist, but that piece of art's long since gone and I just don't care. A lot of the things you talk about are so simple that sometimes when we hear them, they can sound almost like platitudes. You talk about behaving with honor and treating people well and uh, character. I think what happens is if we don't talk about those things, they don't happen. It comes down to awareness. So yes, they become platitudes. They become the apple pie of relationships. But I think everyone in this world genuinely deserves dignity. There's no reason in the corporate world for bullying. I'm involved with a business partnership right now where we have a chairman who is an outright bully. And I've stood up to him several times and said, I'm just tired of your bullying. And when I used that word in the corporate world, it absolutely stunned him and all of a sudden started to rethink his, his words and his process. Do you think that that's all that people need is the kind of wake-up call by reading a book or remembering? Some people will find the book to be a wake-up call, for sure, because it's transparent, it's revealing. It's not a book about success. It's about my life and the mistakes I made chasing success. And my hope is that there'll be youth who say, you know what, we don't really want that single-minded pursuit in a wealth-obsessed world of just dollars. We want a multifaceted approach to life and success, and therefore we understand that relationships are important to us as we go. And there'll be other people who say, yeah, whatever. I'm still, there'll be a cynic saying, here's a rich guy telling me that I have to have core values around family and friends. Yeah, right. Now, uh, you have gone through prostate cancer. You're a graduate. I love that word, mm. by the way. I haven't seen it before. And you say in the book that cancer may have saved your life. 
Well, I acknowledge the work addiction issue and the raging at my daughter and sort of the, the epiphany that led me to realize that my priorities were wrong and my priorities were wrong because my definition of success was so narrowly focused. And now we roll the camera forward and I realize that I haven't made the changes that really are going to affect long term. I've started, I'm aware, I haven't done it and then cancer comes along. And I may have continued that spiraling sewer of life that I was leading, the work addiction just wouldn't break loose. And cancer allowed me to say no, absolutely no in strong words to anyone who was asking for my time, whether it was a partner or a client, it just didn't matter. They left me alone. And that freedom, when I enjoyed that time with cancer in my treatment program, was really revealing to me. And it was a big part of how I ended up making the decision to retire just a couple of years later. A year later, actually. What are your priorities now? Well, first of all is health. I've really come to appreciate that my health is so much more than just my physical health. There's the emotional health and the intellectual health. Number two is unquestionably family and uh, reaching out. You know, I have a, a great relationship with one sister and I have a, a suboptimal relationship with the other. And I'm far more conscious of it in the last few years and continuously reaching out and trying to uh, build something, if you will, with sister number two. And as I say, sister number one is great. The three children, I'll be candid. The relationship with two of the three is fabulous. The third one still needs work. But I'm prepared to do the work because it's frankly the highest priority. Brett Wilson, thanks so much. I appreciate this opportunity. Redefining Success, Still Making Mistakes is published by Penguin Books Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. It's the anniversary of one of rock and roll's most revered concerts. In just a moment, we'll return with a look at The Last Waltz. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time now for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, see the Terrence McNally comedy Golden Age. It's set in 1835 and revolves around the opening of a Bellini opera. The cast includes Tony Award-winning actress Bibi Newirth. The play is like life, um, contains great humor and great sadness. It contains everything. It's, it's really it's a beautiful piece. Golden Age is on stage at the City Center on West 55th Street. To Washington, D.C., where a new exhibit commemorates 50 years of James Bond films and their villains. Exquisitely Evil, 50 Years of Bond Villains is at the International Spy Museum. And in Amsterdam, the International Film Festival features screenings from early in the morning until the middle of the night. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Thanks, Jane. On this date, November 25th, in 1976, a historic concert took place. The band, after announcing their intention to break up, performed their farewell live show at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco. They dubbed it The Last Waltz, and it was a culmination of a decade-long songwriting partnership between singer Levon Helm and guitarist Robbie Robertson. That partnership resulted in some of the most critically acclaimed music of the era. The show was a celebration, 
held on American Thanksgiving with a full Thanksgiving dinner and featured a lineup of legendary guest artists. Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Muddy Waters, and Bob Dylan are just a few of the big names who shared the stage with the band. Martin Scorsese documented the entire event, and his film of the show has gone on to become one of the most popular concert films of all time. We'll travel back to that day right now and hear a few clips from that legendary concert. Those were some of the highlights of The Last Waltz, the band's farewell concert that took place on this date at San Francisco's Winterland Ballroom in 1976. The event was famously documented by filmmaker Martin Scorsese. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. If you have any questions or comments, you can email them to zwyr, Z-W-I-R, at zoomeradio.ca. Please come back next week for a special look at the music of Leonard Cohen. I'll be joined by Sylvie Simmons, the author of his new biography, I'm Your Man. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Knight. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.